Now, our scripture reading today will be taken from Romans chapter 5. If you would open your Bibles there, please. Romans 5, as we are in a powerful section of this book of Romans. And there's quite a bit of discussion in the world of theology about these two verses and what they introduce. And some have taken the position that they introduce some of the wonderful benefits of being justified, and certainly they do that. We're going to see that today. But in the big picture of the chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8, what these things really do is establish that once you're justified, you're forever saved. Once you're justified, you are forever in a right relationship with God. You have eternal security, and that is the point that will be developed in the next chapters. We're going to look today at verses 1 to 2 of Romans chapter 5. Therefore, now let's just pause there, and I want to point out the fact that this points back to the fact that those who have had a righteousness that has been credited to them by faith in Jesus Christ which is proved by the fact that Christ has risen from the dead. He's the one who can give us this wonderful judicial status in the sight of the Lord where we're justified. Therefore, the text says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to point out a couple of grammatical points. Having been justified by faith is aorist tense. You're looking back to a point of time where you trusted Jesus Christ as Savior a point of time in past where you placed your faith in Christ and this judicial court scene appeared in heaven and you were declared righteous by God. That's what that aorist tense verb or participle means. But then he says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God, it's present tense. Which means this, once there's been a point of time where you have been justified by faith, You are forever and continually, all of the time, at peace with God. That's the stress of what's written here in this text. Verse 2 follows up and says, Through whom, that is the relative pronoun, through whom the Lord Jesus Christ, also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in hope of the glory of God. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of that inspired passage and the exposition of it to follow later. Will you join with me, please, in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we bow before thee today to thank you for your sovereign greatness. We thank you for your sovereign goodness, and we certainly, in light of this passage, thank you for your sovereign grace. The thought that we may actually be in a peace relationship with you is humbling and overwhelming. First of all, we realize who you are, and secondly, we realize what we are. So to think that we could have a relationship with you that is that of peace and not hostility is all of thy grace, and for that we do say thank you. Thank you for your precious Son, Jesus Christ. We certainly see here that he's the one who paid it all. He's the one who makes it possible for us to have this grace. Thank you for who he is and what he did. Lord, this book of Romans is powerful, and what we're doing here is serious. We think of what happened just this week. Last week, we stood here and prayed that you would comfort the Dixon family in the loss of Matthew. Today, we stand before you and ask that you would comfort the Dixon family in the loss of Al. Lord, comfort Karen, comfort Paul, comfort that family, give them supernatural peace that passes human understanding. We are so thankful that both of them had believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and both of them are now in heaven. 
But this does show that what we are doing here when we go through these books of the Bible is no game. There's eternal things on the line here, eternal truth that needs to be understood and eternal truth that needs to be applied. We ask that you would do that today in light of this passage of Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Several years ago, we had a dear man in this church whose name was Bob Musselman. He died on May 24, 2019 at the age of 88. Before he died, he told me that the study that God used to really cement his faith and the study that God used to change his life was our study we called Key Doctrinal Words of New Testament Grace. And he said that the doctrine that changed his life was the study of the doctrine of justification. He said that study so impacted him and solidified his faith that he was ready to die. There's no doctrine more critical to salvation than this doctrine of justification. It is the foundational doctrine of the whole grace gospel of God. Martin Luther said that this is the chief article from which all other doctrines have flowed. Luther challenged the entire Roman Catholic Church with this one doctrine. He saw the doctrine of justification as the gospel. He said, we are justified before God altogether without works and obtain forgiveness of sins merely by grace. Then he went on to say, all heretics have continually failed in this one point that they do not understand or know the article of justification. Now, this doctrine of justification blasts all false religious systems and their traditions and what they promote. Because all false religious systems promote you have to do something to be right with God. They have their laws and their codes and their rules and their traditions, and you have to do certain works to be right with God. This doctrine blasts that to bits. In this book of Romans, after Paul clearly established that the whole world is guilty and sinful before God, and after he concluded all of us have sinned, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, the very first doctrine that he mentions in the next verses, and the very first doctrine that he thoroughly develops in the next chapters, is this doctrine of justification. Now when you think of this doctrine of justification, it comes from a family of Greek forensic legal terms. These are legal words. All of these words, all of these words have to do with the righteousness of God in a legal sense. And in order for one to get into God's heaven, one must have God's legal righteousness. And in order for one to have God's legal righteousness, God must make some judicial decision as judge to legally declare that we have that righteousness because we know we aren't righteous. And the moment occurs when we personally believe in Jesus Christ and invite him to save us. Now, when a minister officiates at a wedding, he makes a legal and judicial declaration at some point in the service that this couple is now husband and wife. That declaration has nothing to do with how that husband and wife choose to live their lives. It has nothing to do with how a minister feels or how the people feel. The truth is, it is a judicial legal declaration that a couple is now husband and wife. In fact, in this state of Michigan, 
It's pretty serious if you're a minister and you don't sign these documents right. I mean, when that declaration is made and when that signed marriage license is signed, that's what validates what has happened. The marriage isn't valid or legal until it does happen. If a couple is living together without this, without this legal document, they're in sin, they're in violation of the law. But the moment that that declaration is made, I now, by the authority committed to me, by the authority of God and by the laws according to the state of Michigan declare you husband and wife, that all changes at that one moment of declaration. Now we're all sinners. We've seen in the previous chapters of Romans that we're all guilty. So the question is, how in the world can we go into the court of a holy God And have him as holy, righteous judge declare us to be righteous when we know we're not righteous, and he certainly knows we're not righteous. How is that possible? The only chance we have is that God would make a judicial calculation of grace. He would make a judicial declaration that we're righteous to the point that the condemnatory sin case against us is dropped. And that's what justification is all about. What we see in these two verses is we're justified by God, by his grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. And the moment we believe in Jesus Christ, God judicially declares us righteous and we are forever at peace with God. This is the first time that Paul in this book of Romans has brought up this subject of we have peace with God. And I want you to just roll that through your mind for a moment. What an incredible thought that we could actually have peace with God even though we're sinners. Peace with the Holy God even though we're sinners. And let's clearly define what Paul means by justification because he says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Justification in his mind was that judicial court decision that God makes as judge when he declares a sinner righteous and actually calculates his son's righteousness to the one who believes in him, so that there's no condemnatory sin-wrath case against that person. In other words, the condemnatory sin case is closed the moment God makes a judicial edict, I'm justifying you. Now the first word we see in verse 1 is that conjunction, therefore. And that immediately, grammatically, points back to chapter 4. In view of the fact that Jesus Christ was delivered over for our transgressions, and in view of the fact that he was raised up to prove that he alone is the one who can give us justification, those who believe in Jesus Christ have a credited righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ, and those who have that faith are at peace with God. The main thesis of these two verses is we have peace with God. We have peace, present tense. It's a continual peace relationship that we have with God. We cannot ever experience the condemnation of God once one has been justified. And there are three observations we want to make from the text. First of all, we have peace with God when we are justified. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot possibly have peace completely in life until you're right with God. 
There'll be something lacking, something missing. You're not going to have peace if you look to your own flesh. And you're not going to have peace with the devil. And you're not going to have peace if you try to find it in this world or peace in sin. The only way you're really going to find peace is if you're in a right relationship with God. Now, most people don't understand this point. Most people just drift through life, assuming that they're doing the best they can. And God loves them, and it's all going to turn out good. But those people who think that way don't realize we have a problem. We're in war against God. We've rejected his son. If we don't have Jesus Christ in our lives, we're at war with God. But the moment we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, there is this brand new relationship that we have with the Lord that comes through justification in which we are at peace with God. And as Calvin said, this is a serenity of conscience which originates from an awareness that we've been reconciled to God. And what most people don't realize is that until one is justified, they are in war against God. He'll later say that in this very chapter. He says, prior to being justified, we are an enemy of God. Now, this opening statement of chapter 5 couldn't be any clearer. I mean, to have peace with God, you can see that. To have peace with God, you have to be justified. And as I pointed out in scripture reading, the having been is aorist participle which means there has to be a point of time when you have been justified. There must be a point of time when God has made this judicial calculation concerning you, concerning me, and if you have had that point of time, then we have this continual peace with God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it is this peace that we can have with God that will lead to having the peace of God. It's a peace in a relationship with God that leads to a peace of mind. It leads to peace in life. It's what leads to peace on earth. And Paul has already established the potential of being justified comes through Christ's blood. He said in Romans chapter 3, we're justified through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood. He'll say later in this very chapter, much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. So in the legal matter of a court case before God, when it's you versus God or me versus God, what God looks for is to see whether or not his son's blood may be applied to the individual. It is his son's blood that makes it possible for God to view us as righteous. And once God sees that blood applied to the individual... That one is justified. And once that one is justified, they have peace with God. The second observation that we make is we have peace with God out of faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that preposition through our Lord Jesus Christ literally reads out of faith. And it stresses this whole thing is out of faith. I'm telling you, the grammar here takes works out of the equation, works out of the possibility. No religion, no works, no promises, no vows, no you'll try hard to be good, no traditions can get you into a justified state that will give you peace with God. It is through faith. And Paul cannot be any clear on this point. And the vast majority of people think they're going to be justified in the court of God based on their works. 
They've invented some crazy notion that they're going to get before the Lord and there'll be these scales and God will put their works on one side of the scales and there sets his righteousness on the other side of the scales and somehow they've convinced themselves through their pride and arrogance that their works are going to measure up to the righteousness of God and Paul said that isn't how it works. Works have nothing to do with it. In fact, at Acts 13, 39, Paul said, Through him, through Christ, everyone who believes is freed from all things. Who believes? Romans 3, 22, the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 3, 28, we maintain a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Romans 5, 1, right here, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. In Galatians 2.16, a man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, how much clearer can he get? At the precise moment that any sinner places his or her faith in Jesus Christ to save from sins, God as judge makes this judicial calculation concerning the individual, and as holy judge, he grants a total and complete judicial grant that guarantees you are now in a peace relationship with him. Later in this very chapter, we learn that there are three judicial calculations that God makes. He makes a judicial calculation that all people sinned when Adam sinned. And there's an important reason why he does that, that he'll develop later in this very chapter. Secondly, God makes a judicial calculation that all people's sin is on Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And thirdly, God makes a judicial calculation that Christ's righteousness is given to those who believe. So when Paul writes, therefore, having been justified by faith, we, he uses the personal pronoun and throws himself in the mix. We, who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, have received this judicial calculation from God that gives us peace with God. Now, I'm going to tell you something right now. You're never going to be at peace with God or peace with yourself through you. You can promise all you want. You can make all these resolutions. I mean, we're coming up to the end of the year, and you can come up with a list of New Year's resolutions and go at it. See how long it lasts. Maybe you'll make it. Maybe you won't. You can make vows and promises. It isn't going to cut this, because the fact of the matter is this is grace through faith. Grace through faith. Which brings us to the third observation. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the next relative pronoun, through whom, introduces us to some facts about that. Jesus Christ is identified in the scriptures as the Prince of Peace, and there's no peace anywhere without him. Understand that. No peace anywhere without him. I mean, you get into election season, and I don't know of any politician ever I've ever heard who doesn't talk about wanting peace and trying to get peace. I mean, I have never heard any politician, maybe you have, but I haven't, that doesn't talk about that. You don't even have to study any facts to say that. They all say that. But what they don't realize is we're not going to have peace in the world. We're not going to have peace in the United States. We're not going to have peace in the state of Michigan or in Kalamazoo or in our own lives until the Prince of Peace is at a high and holy position that he deserves to be. 
We won't have it without him. There is no peace without him. And if you try to add anything to salvation, anything other than Jesus Christ to justification, you are insulting God. Because Jesus Christ is the only means of salvation. Jesus Christ is the only means of justification. We do not want to gloss over, by the way, the proper nouns that Paul uses there in verse 1 and the word order in which he uses those proper nouns. First of all, he identifies Jesus as the Lord. Lord, that means he's God. Then he uses the proper noun Jesus, that means he's Savior. And then he uses the proper noun Christ, Christos, which means he's Messiah. So what he's basically saying is if you want justification, you need to come to terms with truth about Jesus Christ. He's God. He's Savior. He's Messiah. This is the only one who can save you. This is the only one who can give you a judicial standing with God in which God declares you righteous. And after he makes that statement, he develops it with that pronoun whom, referring back to the Lord Jesus Christ, with four critical theological facts. First of all, he's the only one who obtains our introduction into grace. Look at what we read in verse 2. Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace. Do you see that? Boy, you understand this point. The introduction that we have into the grace of God has nothing to do with our works whatsoever. We're not introduced to grace by anything we do. The introduction we have to grace, salvation, and justification has nothing to do with anything we merit. It has nothing to do with anything we deserve or can earn. The introduction that we have into a grace relationship with God that gives us justification is solely and totally and only by faith in Jesus Christ. It is that which gives us access into the heavenlies. Grace justification has nothing to do with our obedience. It has nothing to do with our Old Testament law attempts. It has nothing to do with our promises, our commitments, our discipleship, our promises to try real hard to be real good. The text is clear on this. You're introduced into this justification grace system by faith in Jesus Christ. Somehow there are these people, they've overlooked this. They really think that they're following Christ and promising to be a disciple and promising to turn from all sin, which nobody's ever done. But they're actually thinking that that's going to somehow get us a guarantee of salvation. That isn't going to guarantee anything. It's Christ. Jesus Christ, who's our introduction into grace. Look at this text. The thing that gets us into a peaceful relationship with God is nothing about us. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ and everything he did. Which brings us to the second fact. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is the standing we have in the grace system. Verse 2, through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Boy, when you have peace with God, you have an eternal standing with God. I mean, you actually have a relationship with the holy God of the universe. You have access to God. And don't jump over this fact here. We stand in a relationship with God because of the Lord Jesus Christ and his shed blood, not because of what we did or what we didn't do. That's how we stand before God. Christ righteousness imputed to us. And Paul said in Acts 13, 39, 
When we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we're justified from all things. Now just think that through. Think of all the stuff you've done in life. Everything you've done in life. All the sins. All the works. All the attempts to keep the law. All the failures. All the times that you just didn't measure up to the righteousness of God. All failures are judicially gone the moment you believe and are justified. We don't maintain our standing in justification by works. Our works have nothing to do with it. The confidence that we can have in our standing with the Lord comes through grace, which is experienced by faith. Paul said, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For we maintain a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Paul said in Galatians, nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we've believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Paul said in Galatians, now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. Paul said in Galatians, you've been severed from Christ, you who seek to be justified by the law. And then he said in Ephesians, it's by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. Now let's go back to the marriage illustration. The fact that a couple is legally married has nothing to do with how they're going to maintain that relationship. The legal document says they're legally married. The legal case, the judicial case, says they're husband and wife, even though... Sometimes it doesn't turn out to be a great relationship. And that's the way it is with justification. In justification, you have a legal document at the throne of God in which God has justified one who believes in his son. He has imputed to that one a righteousness that gives that one freedom from any type of wrath condemnation. That doesn't mean that believer is going to automatically turn out to have the best relationship he or she ought to have with God. But the document says you're justified. And the document says you have peace with God. Which brings us to the third fact. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is the boast of our hope. Verse 2. In which we stand and exult in hope of the glory of God. If you take an honest look at yourself for the hope of your salvation, you eventually won't have any hope. you boast about yourself and you think highly of your religious stuff and you hope in that, you'll reach some point where you'll lose hope. What you'll discover when you look at yourself is there are times where failures. Our hope of salvation, our hope of justification doesn't exist in us or anything about us. And you need to understand this point. Our boast and hope is not in ourselves. Our boast and hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. This has been a a real tough week with Al going home to be with the Lord. I'm going to miss that guy. I've been preparing, preparing what we're going to do Saturday. He told me last Sunday, That this truth of justification not only has changed his life, but he went over these things with his son Matt through the ministry of this church, and they changed Matt's life. 
No, both are with the Lord. Now, the hope that we have here is we'll see him again because they're with the Lord. And how they got to be with the Lord is faith in Jesus Christ. And sometimes when you hear someone talk about their faith, it's about them. The fact is, it's about Jesus Christ. And this is where people that are caught up in lordship salvation just miss this. I mean, it's a heresy to think you're going to look to yourself for your hope. Look to yourself for your discipleship. Look to your promises. Look to your commitments. Look to your works. Look to your faithfulness to prove you're saved. Well, what you'll discover if you look long enough and hard enough is that you'll never measure up to what you're looking for. And then you'll get doubts because you're looking at the wrong thing. The one who can take us to heaven. The one who will take us to heaven. The one who gives us justification and a righteousness that's necessary to go to heaven is Jesus Christ. So don't look to yourself for hope. Look to him. Look to Christ. He's the hope of salvation. We don't get this justification by our promises or commitments. We get it by judicial declaration. Martin Luther said he had seen religious people who promoted the idea that their religion and works could save them. He said to do this or that work, pray this prayer, give alms and fast and do other things. Luther said, but a true Christian says, I'm justified and saved only by faith in Christ without any works or merits of my own. And a true believer realizes Jesus Christ is our hope, not us, him. And the final fact that Paul develops in that verse is that's what brings glory to God. Now, don't overlook that, how he signs off that verse. We exalt in hope of the glory of God. Understand this. The only hope that we have for glorifying God in this matter of justification is found in Jesus Christ. It's not found in us. It's found in him. Our hope of glorifying God is found in Jesus Christ. When you believe the grace gospel, when you come to terms with the fact that only Jesus Christ can give us everlasting life, you bring glory to God. That's his point. When you believe that only Christ can give you justification, when you believe that you can't save yourself from your sins, when you believe that only the Lord Jesus Christ can wash your sins away, you bring glory to God. When you come to terms with justification and realize this has nothing to do with my works or religion or law keeping, nothing to do with my goodness whatsoever, it's all about Jesus Christ. You bring glory to God. That's what this communion service is designed to do. Remember him, not us. Let's pray. If you've Never trusted Christ as Savior, settle it. Invite him to come in and take over your life. Our Father, we thank you so much for the scriptures, and we thank you for this wonderful truth of grace. We thank you for the fact that in Jesus Christ we have everything. We don't deserve any of that. We don't deserve your precious son stepping out of the splendor and glory of heaven, 
come to this earth to take on the form of humanity and take upon him our sin and then allowing himself to be nailed to a cross. Lord, he didn't deserve that. We deserve that. But we thank you for your grace package. And may we always find our hope and our happiness and peace in our relationship with him. In Jesus' name, amen.